Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Good day and welcome to Animals to the Max. <laughs> my name is Gorman Maxi. I am your host. That was my really lame attempt at trying to sound a little bit like an Australian. Uh, anyway, scratch that. Uh, <laughs> folks, today is a very special day because, of course, it is 2019. So welcome to the new year. We have excellent guests for you today. They are our first Australians on the show. You come from an undone I'm sorry, I had to play that. That song was literally just stuck in my head during this whole interview. <laughs> Man, I had such a good time talking to these guys. We have Zookeeper Dan and Brandon on the show. They both work at the Australian Reptile Park. And I'm going to be honest, I actually found both of them through Instagram. And I'll tell you what, these guys are either cuddling koalas, feeding crocodiles, or walking Komodo dragons. I'm being serious. They're walking Komodo dragons. Anybody who can walk a Komodo dragon is qualified to be on Animals to the Max. That's all I'm saying. So I had such a good time talking to these guys and we just go over everything. I mean, these are people who, uh, you know, handle dangerous snakes on a daily, feed crocodiles. Actually, Dan talks about a story where he was bit by a large female crocodile. Just anyway, a lot of really, really fun stories. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. As always, before we get started, please make sure to, uh, if you're not already, to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Instagram's really fun because you're going to see a lot of visuals especially what these guys do. These guys have great Instagram accounts, by the way. But uh, yeah, definitely check out uh, Instagram at Corbin Maxi. You can also go to CorbinMaxi.com if you want to suggest a guest or if you have any questions. But here we go, guys. This is a great interview. I love talking to these guys. And you know what? They inspired me. I am going to go to Australia. I, I'm serious. You know, Africa was at the top of my list. It still is. I want to go back to Africa. But you know what? Walking a Komodo dragon, man, that's pretty high on my list too. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Zookeeper Dan and Brandon. I do want to point out that I was wearing my Australia Zoo hat just to, you know, kind of try to fit in to kind of, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it was ridiculous. They noticed my hat right away. <laughs> hope you enjoy the interview. I recognize that hat. <laughs> I was going to say, I wore it. <laughs> you like it? You've been to the zoo before. <laughs> I wish I could say I have. I have not. I had a... <laughs> How disappointing. I have a good friend that <laughs> I have a but good friend. someone sent you that. Yeah, yeah. Someone went to the zoo and then uh, brought this back home to the States for me. This is the best. You guys, it's so good to finally connect. I've been trying to get you both on the podcast for like almost a year. A year. Oh. Thank you for being patient with us, and we're very, we've been talking about it all week, so very, and it worked out well, you know, we're both working together and do it together, it's good fun. Yeah, and you're, okay, by the way, you guys are both the first Australians we've ever had on the show. Oh, oh really? Beautiful work. That's good. That's great. <laughs> we're going to have to get you an Australian reptile park hat, none of this Australian zoo hat stuff. <laughs> So what the listeners can't see is I put on, you guys, I had to dig this out of the closet. I haven't worn this in so many years. And, like, it was, like, five minutes before our interview, and I'm like, oh, crap. I need to relate to these guys somehow. So I, like, I like 
got this hat which doesn't even fit me right anyway so just kind of introduce yourself for the listeners g'day uh, my name's dan rumsey and i'm the head reptile keeper at the australian reptile park i'm a reptile enthusiast uh but i also love going to the beach but yeah anything that you know catching reptiles working with crocodiles wrangling venomous snakes i used to work at australia zoo where i met young brandon who now works with me well, g'day, mate. I'm Brandon, and I work at a, at the Australian Reptile Park, putting up with Zookeeper Dan every single day. But originally, we were both up at Australia Zoo and uh, looking after the sunny coast. Now we're looking after the central coast right near Sydney. Absolutely love it. It's really good. I'm so excited to finally get you on, and it's so hard because we live at opposite ends of the world. Yeah, yeah. Time, uh, and we're also always so busy. So thank you for being patient with us, and we love the opportunity. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and you know, I found you guys through Instagram. It's yeah, yeah, Instagram, is a, it's a big deal these days. Like, it makes you connect with, I've been able to connect with so many wildlife enthusiasts and conservationists and just just through Instagram mainly. When I went and visited America, the amount of people I got to meet, 80% of them were through Instagram. Man, I have a bone to pick with you guys because, like, I mean, I work with some really cool animals, like some really cool animals that I have personally, but, man, I go on my feed and you guys are either cuddling koalas, walking a Komodo dragon. We are lucky. Uh, nothing beats a Komodo dragon, I reckon. That's got to be the favourite. Mm. But, mate, I tell you what, we were looking at, like, uh, the way I found you was through Instagram. If anyone isn't following Corbin on Instagram, they need to get on and do it, Corbin Macy, because it's, it's awesome. You're dealing with a whole stack of wildlife we don't get to see. I think it's just the fact that you're over there and we're over here, so we see it every single day. You still pinch yourself. I think anyone working with animals should be still pinching themselves every time they go in with them. But, yeah, I, I look at your stuff and get really jealous. Really yeah, good. but not... Yeah, but not when I'm with my emu Napoleon. Like, that's how big <laughs> Napoleon. That's awesome. What was it like growing up in Australia for both of you? Like, the wildlife? Like, what was your childhood like? Yeah, I, I was lucky. I actually grew up on the uh, National Park, uh, the Royal National Park in New South Wales. So the bush was always in my backyard. Uh, we could go out the back and see red-bellied black snakes almost, well, through summer anyway, almost every day. Uh, water dragons, you know, blue-tongue lizards. It was, it was a blessing to grow up with the bush at our backyard because that's where you wanted to spend. When I wasn't playing sport, I wanted to be in the bush with the old man. So, yeah, it definitely made me appreciate that. I guess when I was very young and then you watch Steve Irwin for the next 10, 15 years and uh, it becomes extremely addictive. Yeah. yeah, and I was very unlucky. I grew up in, like, country New South Wales, so I inherited this voice. But I, like, tell you what, growing up in the country, nothing like it because you got all your snakes and all your lizards and the way I really got into it was, uh, well, I was already out sort of looking for them, but as far as the snake factor goes, they were they were cruising on the properties and around our house, so I started moving them from there. But, uh, yeah, definitely Davy docos and Steve-O docos, especially once you get to your teens, they were, they were awesome. We're all pretty lucky to grow up in that generation of documentaries where you're getting into see the world through the camera lens it's awesome so so now we're actually old enough to go out and see it for ourselves it's good i was gonna say steve Irwin documentaries i feel like he introduced us like in the states to australia and the country and the wildlife i mean it was just i think it was really inspirational yeah definitely he um uh, he put australian wildlife really on the map um he also made snakes and crocodiles cool which is a very very hard thing to do We're, uh, we've grown up in a country where my grandparents would have said the only good snake is a dead snake um that has changed people particularly our generation they, uh, they understand snakes a lot better and i think 
one of the focal points for that was Steve Irwin. There's no doubt about it. He put snakes into people's bedrooms through the camera, and all of a sudden people thought, these animals aren't that bad. They're actually, they're actually pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think he's made my job of teaching people about uh, snake safety much easier. Yeah, but you guys, Australia is home to some of the most dangerous stinks in the world, correct? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. We've got uh, stacks of the world's top terrestrial venomous snakes, yet we have a very low account of snake bite death. You're talking about two to three people a year are killed by snake, and we've got the eastern brown snake, uh, eastern tiger snake, inland type end, coastal type end, common death adder. We have all these snakes that are in that top 10 to top 20 most venomous terrestrial snakes, yet our snake bite death is extremely low. Obviously, we're, we're, we have an advantage of being very well educated, but also, too, we have access to really, really good hospitals. Um, but, yeah, well, like you compare that to India, 50,000 people are killed by snake in India each and every year. Three people in Australia. It's crazy. Why do you think that is? you think it's just education? Yeah, but, you know, if you look at someone who's bitten in, in India, Sri Lanka, parts of Africa, they just sit and try to ride the bite out. Um, they can't afford medical attention. They can't be. They can't afford medical treatment. When we're bitten by a snake, and, and touch wood, it doesn't happen. But if we're bitten by a snake, we go to hospital. The government supplies the antivenom for free. If you're overseas, it's going to cost you um, money that you wouldn't have earned in five years. We're just very blessed to live in Australia. We have it at, at our doorstep if we need it. Uh, on average, about 200 people are treated for snake bite in Australia every year. Uh, and obviously, being at the reptile park, we have played a massive part of that program since the early 1950s, milking these snakes to extract the raw venom for the anti-venom program. Uh, so my team literally risks their lives every week, but we're saving lives. So it's, 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 you can't do anything better than that. I just think we need to find a way to make countries, third world countries, have anti-venom more accessible, more cheaper, um, so that when people are bitten, yeah. going to the hospital is not worse than dying like we want them to go to hospital but i'm just gonna say so we both work with animals every day all three of us do i feel like it comes with a job you get bit all the time i mean i do anyway i've been probably bit by every animal i've ever worked with (laughs) when i was when i was a a bit younger and a bit more stupid i got bit on the hand by a crocodile but um yeah you always have you know what whenever i've had a moment where i thought it's nearly gone wrong it's because i've made a mistake it has okay. never been because of the animal. It's because I've lapsed in concentration. I've not read the body, the animals, uh, I guess, the signs that they're giving to me, and, or I've been lazy. That, outside of that, you, you're pretty safe. Mm, 100%. Every single time it's just been mostly been lazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've had a few instances where snakes have uh, – there's moments where someone up top has saved me from a bite. Like the snakes bounced off my hand rather than uh, the snake biting me. Just a bit of luck. You need a bit of luck too. I think so. What about you, Brandon? Any close, uh, any close calls? I've had, I've had a lot of way too close calls, but yeah, exact same as Dan, where I've, I've gotten away with it. But um, like probably the closest for venomous snakes has been like yeah, thumbnail bites. I've had a few on the thumbnail, and they, they haven't gone through. Uh, and the other one was at the boots, like just just sort of hitting the boot and not hitting your leg. Um, we've got a bit of slow mo footage. I don't want to show the boss, but um. But, no, for the most part, no, I've been very lucky. Just a couple of go-inners on the hands and that was it. If you don't want to get bitten, you, you like you won't. It's you being like you're pushing the limits when you're getting bitten. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at work, we don't want to be doing that. No. Yeah. Okay, so, Dan, hold on. Let's just back up. You said you got bit by a crocodile. How big was the crocodile? 
Oh, it, was, it was only a female croc, um, so she wasn't very big, uh, but still enough to do quite a bit of... She, she, she ripped my hand apart, um, but what happened was I was feeding another crocodile, wasn't really paying attention to the female. I actually dropped my food bucket. So I've just reached down, reflex, you know, to pick up the bucket, and as I've done that, she's flung around and grabbed my hand, trying to grab the bucket most likely. Um, but the funny thing about it was this was right at the start of my crocodile feeding show. So I, I didn't really have much of a choice. So I just stuck my hand in the bucket, fed with my other hand, did the rest of the show. And then after the show, my spotters who were watching the show said, oh, that was such a good show. It was a lot of fun. And I said, yeah, look at this. And my arm was just bleeding and oh, I was shocking. Yeah. So no one knew. No one knew. That has happened to me a few times, you know, doing shows in front of a live studio audience and have an animal bite you. And you can't like, and by the way, I mean, you really can't blame the animal. It's like your fault. So anyway, you're just like, and you don't want other people to think the animals, I don't know. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Holy crap. Yeah, it was, it was actually, um, it, the funny part about it was, was I, uh, I never told my boss until, this is an old boss and he, he's, he might be watching, so I hope he's not. Um, <laughs> I said to him about three years later, I said, oh, I've got to tell you something. So I told him the whole story and he just, he just shook his head. So I got away with it, which was good. What's your, what's your worst bite that you've had? My worst bite, I've never made it public, I guess, until now. But this isn't live, <laughs> so if I decided to maybe edit it, maybe I can do it. Uh, my worst bite was a sloth. Oh, really? That, oh, wow. that and, and I would show you my scar. It's in between my thigh. And it might look a little inappropriate right now via <laughs> Skype, fellas. Uh, <laughs> well, he's got a scar inside his thigh as well, different one. But you know, the thing about it is, people think slobs are like really cute, and you know, which they are cute and you know, really slow. But when they want to go or when they want to bite, they will bite. And slobs aren't actually really the nicest animals, you know, to work with. It's just the face, the facial features. And uh, as I was transitioning, getting trying to rescue this keeper from the sloth he ended up biting me on the thigh and it his canine sunk right in and it was just like wow. went, oh my god it was a horrible bite i mean the canines are like this big so it sounds like a wombat bite no, that, yeah that'd be oh i was gonna say i've had a bad wombat bite but that's the worst that is the absolute worst yeah that would you so you still have the scars Yes. Yep. I'll send you guys the photos. I do. And it's just like two little marks right here. But yeah, like I said, I can't really show you. It might look weird over Skype. <laughs> I'm just going to point out. Uh, cool. Yeah, you should. Now I'll play a photo for the uh, thumbnail. But um, but Dan's scar that I was talking about on the inside of the thigh, he's filming with a salty with a big croc called Elvis who's 450 kilos. And he's just been in with him mucking around and uh, for some footage and runs out to get away with him. And they've got this short fence that back then didn't have a, a little safety strip across the top of the, the bars. So he's dove over the fence to get away from this croc because the croc really got close to him and uh, it was a close call. And he, he actually got stuck on the fence. The bar's gone straight up into his thigh and now the croc's coming at him and they've just had to rip him off this fence. And now he's – how many stitches did you have? Yeah, I got about – 20 stitches in my leg. Um, I went into full shock because there was, you know, meat was hanging out. It was was not good. But the craziest thing about the whole experience was, like, I was mucking around. We are pushing, we we're pushing the limits a little bit this day. And um, Elvis, our crocodile, he's a beautiful, beautiful croc. He came and rested his head where my leg was hanging for two days. He didn't move. As if to say, I nearly got you. Oh, my God. That is crazy yeah and my, i end up uh my leg ended up getting pretty badly infected and um i end up 
having to take a couple of days off. But I, I came back into work the next day and uh, I fed the crocodile again about four days later. I just had to get over it and jump back in and give it another go. Because you know, when, when this whole experience happened, there, there was people watching and um, I can just remember the the crocodile come out of the water so hard and so fast. It was, it was scary. Like I froze ladies were screaming because it was just like a torpedo. He, something in his brain that day was just different. He, I was being different and he reacted to it immediately. He thought today's the day I've gotcha. The banter was that the idea was at the end of the video, he was going to get wheelchaired out for the video and he actually did get wheelchaired out genuinely. For the video. We've got 70 alligators at work. We've got one crocodile. Uh, you can't, you can't compare the two. Um, one, I'm not being biased. I think saltwater crocodiles are much more intelligent or they're just they're more in tune with their, I guess, their uh, sensory organs. Yeah. Um, you can just really? see the way they – What the example I always use is if when, I, when you feed an alligator next to a crocodile, when you throw a yabby in with, with alligators, they shovel around trying to find the food. A what? Like a crayfish, like a – it's like oh. a – Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. This is this is an American podcast, Dan. You're going to have to get to our American terms here. Okay. So a crawdad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, when you when you throw in any kind of food for a gator, um, they kind of like muck around. They, they 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 thrash around trying to find the food. When you feed a crocodile, they hit it like a torpedo. They just don't miss. Um, it just seems to be more going on. And whether it's just the uh, sense organs on the scales. Obviously, it's more advanced on a saltwater crocodile, um, but they just feel like they never take their eyes off you. They're just more switched on. I guess it's like comparing a reticulated python to a Burmese python. Okay, there you go. Now I know what you mean. I've never worked with a crocodile before. And, and maybe it's a good thing because I probably wouldn't have this hand. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would love to. Was it nerve-wracking swimming in like a watering hole in Australia as a kid? Or did you? Uh, yeah, not not where, not where I live down in East Wales, but when we go up to the northern mm. parts of Queensland, particularly I love catching turtles. So um, there's been times where I've been in rivers where it's been a bit dodgy. But, um, yeah, I, I find down here in New South Wales because, really, there's there's nothing. Like, saltwater crocodile territory starts 20 hours north in terms of driving from where I am, from where we are. Uh, okay. You've got to get almost 10 hours north of the border, of New South Wales border where we live, um, to get into croc country. So uh, once you get up north, though, and unfortunately, in Australia, people are still killed by crocodile. They are the easiest animal to avoid. They are the easiest by far, yet people still get eaten by saltwater croc. It, 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 oh, I just like how, how many people, like if you watch a news article, are killed by a crocodile that had alcohol? It's Alcohol in the equation kills a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like people drinking, maybe they want to go and skinny dip in the river and then they don't, I don't know. But there is there is one river system up in uh, near Weeper. And they've, they, they do studies up there every single year, the University of Queensland. Now, when they went up to do a study on these crocs, they've got, I think to this day, close to 200 animals that they're tracking, 200 crocodiles that they're tracking. They go down to the river system and there's a croc warning sign and people are literally hanging their beach towel over the croc warning sign and jumping in that river with 200 crocs. So what they did is they set up these little beacons in the water which was separate to the study just to see how many times they had one of the big males go past this area where people are swimming. And he went past something like 275 times in that year 
and people are swimming there and they've got a swinging rope into the water where that location is. The only reason more people, like, we're lucky that they're crocodiles and they're not a mammal because they don't have to eat that often. If they had to eat as much as a tiger, more people would be getting killed. There's no doubt about it. People take an unnecessary risk and then what happens inadvertently is saltwater crocodiles are the bad guys again. And aren't crocodiles protected in Australia? Yeah, very, yeah, they became protected, I think, in 1974, maybe 71. 71. 71, and a little bit later in Queensland, so they are protected. But so are snakes. Snakes are protected in Australia. People still kill snakes all the time because there's no real repercussions against people that do it. Um, you know, we're getting better educated. There's about a million snake catchers in Australia these days, it seems. Everyone's a snake catcher, apparently. Um, it's crazy. There just seems to be... I, t- I talk to people and all of a sudden there's these 20 new snake catchers that have probably never handled a snake before. But at least... <laughs> at least we have people going out and catching snakes, removing them. But we not even know that's bad, not always great for the snake, but taking them out of that scenario where they would most likely be killed, most likely chopped up with a shovel, uh, and at least being released into close bushland. But um, as I said, again, a lot of that comes back to Steve-O. Like, he, you know, he was catching snakes, and all of a sudden people are like, you know what, hey, snakes are pretty cool. They're very cool animals. They're just misunderstood. I think snakes are the world's most misunderstood creature. Mm. Brando said, oh, oh, except for spiders. And I said, no, I like spiders. <laughs> Man, I love spiders. I brought one home, though, and my wife's like, no. Like, no. <laughs> and I even named it after her, and she was so pissed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's funny because... One time I was on television and I named a spider on television after my ex-girlfriend. It's a lot safer. <laughs> See, that's a lot smarter. See, no, I was like, oh, I'll just do the current one. <laughs> how, how was the couch that night? Good? It was good. It was good. I'm actually still there. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, okay, so you guys both grow up watching Steve Irwin. Do you both land jobs at the same time at the Australia Zoo? I started a little bit before Brandon, um, and then I met Brandon probably uh, three or four months before I left. Um, I was just – I really loved Australia Zoo. It's a beautiful place. It's in a great location with great animals, great staff, and big shout-out to the guys up there. They do an amazing job, particularly with the Wildlife Hospital. Um, but I was given an opportunity to go to the Australian Reptile Park in a role that is so unique, what we do. Uh, it was I just couldn't refuse. And then when we had this job going, we're advertised for a reptile keeper and, you know, Brandon contacted me and, you know, you could not find a more passionate, dedicated young person uh, to get down. So it worked out wonderful for me. He, uh, except when he lets lizards out, but we won't <laughs> talk about that online. Um, he's been amazing. At least it's not a crocodile, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, well, not yet. <laughs> if he gets out, there's a problem. That's a massive problem. Yeah. Someone asked the other day, they asked Dan um, where where the crocodile, what, what was it about the tree, they said? You answered about a tree? They said, where does the crocodile go at night? And uh, I think it was either Jake or Dan said, oh, he goes up the tree, and they believed it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so... <laughs> what actually happened? We had a we had a tour group in 
and uh, the crocodile was under the water and they couldn't see him and they said, where is he? And I said, oh, sometimes he hides up in the tree. So I'm watching these people <laughs> taking photos of the tree trying to spot the crocodile. It was hilarious. It's so funny what guests will believe. One of my friends works at, at a zoo and one of the guests, they were at the penguin exhibit and one of the guests was like, oh, my God, that's just so sad. They had to clip those wings because those birds can't fly. Oh. <laughs> Like, yes. Oh, oh I love it. Well, <laughs> this this actually comes from a quote uh, from a fr- uh, a girl. Fr- her name's Caitlin. She works at San Diego Zoo. Apparently, uh, someone asked her, a guest asked her, that if uh, like pygmy hippos related to pygmy possums or something because they're pygmies, are they related? <laughs> And they were dead serious. They thought because they're all pygmies that they must be related. And I just I just can't believe that. <laughs> it's like when people ask us and we get these messages, will I get chlamydia if I cuddle a koala at the store? If I use definitely. definitely. I've never heard that one before. And I've heard a lot of stupid things in my day. What <laughs> then? So yeah, we uh we do get that one quite a bit. What do you reckon is the stupidest thing you've ever heard other than the penguins? Is that um the- oh my god, it's a really, really good question. Um, I think like so I mean not nothing really to me, but a lot of my zookeeper friends, like they'll have people pass them, you know, by like, you know, visitors and they'll tell their kids, now listen here, Johnny, this is why you get a college education. You could be doing this. <laughs> what was it like both of you working at the australia zoo i loved it uh, i was only there for a year um i learned a lot but i i i, I love the place and i think it's it's an incredible facility it's very unique because it's a private institution of course uh great people terry robert bindi do an amazing job uh they're beautiful beautiful people with uh, a huge heart and i think that they will do amazing things for conservation and that's why you know zoos aren't always i think a lot of us try and hide behind a conservation banner at times but at the end of the day where it's about getting people up close to wildlife because not everyone is like us three we, we, we as soon as we get off this chat me and brandon are going out the bush to look for snakes not many people will like to do that we provide people that opportunity to cuddle a koala you know uh, see a meerkat uh, all these things that makes them engage and fall in love with animals. So mm. conservation's great, but if we can touch the, I guess the heart, it sounds corny, but touch the hearts of people and make them appreciate animals, wildlife, uh, then that's what our job is mainly about. Conservation is very, very important, but we need to make sure we're touching people first. And and that's what Australia Zoo has done so well for so long. So the zoo's been going for something like 48 years, I think, now. And they have just, you can see it, the impact they've had on the world through Steve uh, under the under his leadership. They've just kicked some absolute goals. So to work there, growing up as a kid in Australia, and I dare say a kid in America would feel the exact same if they got a role there. We've got a mate up there in reptiles called Hunter, and he grew up in America, and he's so passionate. He's just like you, Corbin. And, like, they, it's it's really hard to describe the impact that zoo has had on the rest of the world to, to look after wildlife. So... It is really good, but it's a bit of a pinch yourself thing to work there and it really builds you up in a selfish way. It really helps you as an individual. They've got a, uh, a uh, building there, the Crocker scene, with 5,000 seats to go out and talk to an audience um, of, of that size is insane. And so 
um, your people skills really build up, but then, of course, your wildlife skills are built up as well. And it, it's really turning people into these uh, very, very passionate, well-educated, enthusiastic um, wildlife blokes that are, are getting out there. And really, you see people in every facility in Australia that have worked there, and it's done them wonders. So it's it's an amazing facility. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be prouder to have worked at Australia Zoo. And, uh, and you know what, for Australia, it's not as well-known around the world, but the Australian Reptile Park that we're working at now, um, as a little boy growing up, there's two things that you wanted to work at, and that was Australia Zoo and the Australian Reptile Park. And the Australian Reptile Park for an Aussie kid um, has, the same, has the same sort of thing in your head as what Australia Zoo would have had growing up in America as an American kid. The only difference we're going to be making with wildlife is through people and both of those places have really got on board with that. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're uh, they're making strides in their field. Like Australia Zoo's obviously d- does the largest telemetry study in the world on saltwater crocodiles, and then the Australian Reptile Park. We're about to go out and do the first catch up of little many river turtles that are in a lot of trouble down in that river system, and they're a leader in in Tasmanian devil conservation and all these different species. But at the same time. They're saving human lives, which no other zoological facility in Australia does by uh, doing the venom program with our snakes and our spiders. Mm. So both places insane. Mm. Now I have a. Let's go back to the Australia Zoo. How yeah. often did you really see Bindi and Robert and Terry? Was it like once in a blue moon? It was like, hold on, a camera's here, PR move. Let's. <laughs> like, how often did you guys see them? I mean, come on. Uh, to be honest, we saw them all the time. Um, no way. Uh, okay, good to know. Yeah, they were around quite a bit and very influential. And they, uh, you know what, I, I remember sitting there one day talking to Terry Owen about frogs for about 20 minutes straight. And I just thought I just had to pinch myself afterwards. I just thought Terry just stopped to talk about water-holding frogs, which is not a not a special species or anything like that. You just pinch yourself. Like I've watched Terry Owen on TV since I was a kid and who am I to be standing here talking to her about frogs? Like it was just... Those moments you'll never forget, and they are very much involved. And obviously, they have to do the PR stuff. They are the face of the zoo, their face of uh, wildlife conservation in Australia, basically. So, you know, when people say, "Oh, it's just about the camera," like that's a big part of what they do, but it's very, very important. Mm. And you you do actually see them quite a bit. Like particularly for me, I was always running into Robert and Terry. Um, like Robert is always on his scooter on Zoo Road, up and down and up and down. And so he'll pull up if he sees you and has a yarn about whatever you've been doing or or particularly for me, we were always talking about crocs. But Terry, like we, I remember one occasion we are moving a croc weeper from one enclosure to another and I, I went over and stood with her while that was going on and she was just talking to us about the crocs she's caught before, where this enclo- what was in this enclosure before weeper and, and feeding crocs over there and just tells you everything, all these cool stories that you just pinch yourself. But they do a lot of that. And then, like, uh, other to that, like, on another occasion, she, um, she'll come up to you and talk about just randomly just olive pythons and catching them in caves out west. So she talks to you about the zoo, but she talks to you about uh, herping and really gets excited about whatever it is you're doing. She- Rob- Robert Irwin also does a fantastic impersonation of Brandon's voice. <laughs> it's good to know that they are that involved. I mean, I'm sure, you know, and I've... I never, a lot of people ask me because I do a lot of TV here in America. And a lot of people ask if I ever worked with Steve Irwin. I never did, but I worked with people who were, who worked with him as handlers. And they said he was exactly like how he was on camera as he was off. So it's good to know his family seems, you know, like that as well. Yeah. And 
and I don't think anyone ever talks about it, but, you know, for Bindi and Robert to grow up the way they have, losing a parent and there's never been a scandal, there's never been – they're just good people and that's what people forget. They are literally – like, you know, when I do eventually have a daughter or, or whatever, I don't want them to grow up – I want them to grow up and be like Bindi. That's, that's – it's simple. Like, how, how could you not have that as an idol for, for a young girl growing up? Like, you look at some of the other people that we put on pedestals, particularly for young girls to look up to – if, if I had a young daughter, I would want her to try and be as much as possible like Bindi Irwin because she's a great example of a really good, young, positive person. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so let's go to the Australian Reptile Park where, my God, you guys are walking. Okay, we need to talk about this. A Komodo dragon? Yeah, my boy, Kraken. He's the... Oh, the, man. We do we do have two. Uh, we have a male and a female. Kraken is the male. Daenerys is the much smaller female. And uh, they're very, very intelligent lizards. Uh, when I've worked with a lot of different reptile species, but obviously Komodos sit right at the top. They're incredible animals. Um, and, yeah, obviously we, we take them for walks. I think one of the things underrated in, reptile kept, in, in terms of captive reptiles is exercise. Some of these animals ro- roam for extremely long distances at times, like a parenti would, uh, one of our big varanid species here. Uh, so the ability to take them out, they get all the different smells, which is enrichment, of course. Uh, they get to walk up and down stairs, climb up and down rocks, all the things that they would not necessarily get by being in an enclosure. Um People don't always associate leads with a positive thing. That lead does not need to be there. That lead, it, 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 honestly, you don't need the lead. It's just there to keep work, uh, work cover happy in case the Komodo dragon decides to chase after a little kid, which would never happen. We don't need the lead. It's not a restraint. I'm not pulling on the lead. The lead is just there for that one in a million chance that something went wrong. They do their own walk. They they choose where they want to go. It's not like walking a dog. It is completely up to them. I worked with the Komodo dragon when I was 15, and I won't name the zoo, but they treated it like this thing was the most aggressive animal in the world, and we took so many precautions, and it was like he had a different, like we had, it was like this, the security on this animal was insane. Yeah, well, I find uh, our Komodos are both magic. They're, mm. they're the most relaxed animals, and it's all about a good relationship, I guess. They know us. They know me in particular. I'm the one who works most closely with them. And, um, yeah, they're just super relaxed. You know, you can pat them on the head and get really close to them. And I do. I try and be as close to them as I can because they don't associate me with anything outside of a positive thing because they get so much out of me. And you also get a great Instagram photo. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) What a hard day in the office. You're just like... This giant Komodo dragon. I'm like, man, what a life. He's, get, he's almost getting too big for the old pickup carry, but um, it does make for a great photo, I tell you. <laughs> it's nuts, eh? It's the coolest thing ever when you get there. They're not as heavy as you expect. Well, I only do the little girl Daenerys, but not as heavy as I expected Komodo to be, but still, like, you pick her up and she looks around at everything. She's so, like, they are just the most intelligent lizards possibly one of the most intelligent animals on earth. Like they're so switched on and then she'll flick her tongue out and you can just, she's sensing absolutely everything. But you'll think she's looking at these people right in front of her and she'll be looking way over past them. Their vision's nuts. Yeah. And that's something that actually Corbin and I was always told growing up was that our Gawainers have terrible vision. Like they, they can't see very far and also that they, they don't have any colour vision. So when Dan goes in to get these lizards out, all he has to do, this shows how intelligent they are, that he holds up a blue ball on a stick and then 
they sit very calmly. He can go in and service around them, pat them, take them out for a walk. He puts that orange ball on a stick over the edge. They go ballistic, full food response, ready to go, get really excited, very food motivated. People don't realise how intelligent these animals are. Though. You can see them processing. Yeah. And, Brandon, I want to talk to you really quick because you just posted a photo of you cuddling a koala. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that was uh, little Buddy. And Buddy, so we get to uh, whether it's because obviously we're reptile keepers, but we get to we do most of the shows. So if there's any school groups or tour groups coming into the facility, then um, then we we do what we call a school show, where we have a few other things. So we have birds and, and mammals, and um, and so previous roll up at the zoo, I worked with a few koalas. So at this at this one, um, when they said they're going to have a mammals keeper come in and take the koala around for the audience, I said, oh. Can I do it? Like, I really don't want to, I want to be the one taking the koala around. They said, oh, for sure. So they said, have you worked with koalas before? And I was like, yeah, 68. <laughs> so so I went in and got signed off on the koala and so now I get to take it around and show people. But this is the most magic thing because people come to Australia to see a koala. Like, that is one animal you know that every person in that audience is pinching themselves. So to be able to give them that experience, it just makes you feel so good. You'll notice in Australia, the further south you go, the bigger they get. So we've got northern koalas, and that one, buddy, tiny little thing, absolutely adorable, weighs virtually nothing. Have you met many koalas? Never. And I was going to say, what a way to pick up chicks. Are you both... Don't tell anyone my secrets, mate. (laughs) All I have is like a 65-pound turkey with a bad heart condition, an emu, and then a couple alligators and some snakes, but not a koala. No, I've never worked with a koala. (laughs) But you got spiders as well. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a tarantula named Samantha, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Adorable. Yeah, so... Tell me about koalas. Are they as are they as nice as they look, or are they can some of them be pretty aggressive? They're full tilt. Hey, I had a, uh, a koala called Lawson once, and uh, they are full on. Like the big males, when they come into breeding season, they actually have a scent gland on their chest, and people call it a pheromone that comes out of there. I call it an odor because it's disgusting. And then they also bellow, so they sound like a feral pig up a tree. But as soon as they get into that caper, if you're holding on to them then they can get really aggressive. And so I've had a fair bit where I've been out with patrons and you've just had to restrain a koala and he's going ballistic and they get to see what an actual koala is like because always you're picturing it just sitting very still. But I do, as, as much as it looks unprofessional, sometimes it's good for people to see what an animal actually looks like when they're, when they're going off like a frog and sock. But we can, uh, it's just something you're working with. It, it's, it's not a stressful situation with that animal. It's literally just behaving how it would in the bush. Mm-hmm. How are Tasmanian devils? Do you guys work with them on a regular basis? He's raised yeah, Tasmanian yeah. devils. Uh, Tassie devils, I've had, I've had a few. Um, I've had a couple at home. I've hand-raised a handful of devils, uh, and they're, they're amazing. They're, they're, obviously, when they're, when they're adults, they can be they, they have a bite that's quite severe, but, I mean, they're, they're, if you encounter them in the wild, they're extremely skittish. They won't come near you. Uh, in captivity, I've got a few friends that have been bitten. Uh, again, keeper error, not so much the Tassie devil. They're, they're pound for pound, they have one of the strongest bites of any animal. But when they're young, when you're hand-raising them, they are just inquisitive. They're fun. That is the only way to describe them. They're fun. I couldn't – besides a wombat, there's no better animal to raise than a Tassie devil. I'm actually raising a kangaroo at the moment, and he's pretty cool because I'm at the point where he's coming out of the pouch and jumping around the house. So he follows you, and he's so cute. I called him um, Dundee. 
Oh, nice. Nice. I've worked with several kangaroos, several kangaroos. How, okay. So really quick, how were wombats? Dan, you said they were, I mean, probably one of your favorite animals to raise. They are amazing. Don't get me wrong. They will destroy your house. Um, <laughs> but, the, oh, they I just, yeah, you just can't compare. Like, I've, you know, I've fallen asleep with wombats in my arms and just those those little moments that you just, you forget about. you got to pinch yourself sometimes. And, um, you know, you go, you're walking into the bathroom and the wombat follows you all the way in. You know, you're in the shower and the wombat's just sitting there watching you. Oh, it's just great. Yeah. And, and remember you talked about chick magnets. One baby wombats, I tell you. And <laughs> Barry, I reckon wombats, like they are such an underrated Australian marsupial. They are the best. Like they are insane. Especially like as adults as well. They're stubborn. They're they're funny. They're very fast. Like they go forty k's an hour when they want it. They're they're solid. Uh, they've got a good bite. <laughs> but no, they're brilliant. They have got so much personality. Unbelievable. Yeah. So he's been raising those things and going to kill him one day. So what animal do you guys encounter the most in the bush? Cause you were both about to go out in the bush and catch snakes. By the way, Dan's looking at me, like looking at his watch, like, come on, man, come on, hurry up this interview. We have to go snake catching. <laughs> I work with Brandon all week. Today's my day off. If I have to listen to him talk anymore, I'm going to fall apart. Um, probably, Oh, what animal do we see the most? I, I love turtles, so uh, I, I try and get out in the rivers and catch turtles. Um, but uh, water dragons, bearded dragons, red-bellied black snakes, yeah, we see them all. A lot of birds. We've got a, a lot of bird life in Australia too. So, What is the most venomous snake people encounter in Australia? Uh, the eastern brown snake. Uh, the eastern brown snake accounts for uh, approximately 60% of all bites. Um, and majority of deaths come from the one snake. The eastern brown snake has a very large distribution, but also, similar to the koala, is majority of Australians live in eastern Australia. So yeah, I always say a snake does not know what a backyard or a fence is. They're just looking for a place to take refuge or to find food. Do you guys have a dream animal that you want to encounter, like a bucket list animal that you would love to find out in the wild in Australia? Oh, in Australia, yeah. I, I, I want to go back up north next year to find pignose turtle. They're probably my... Oh! Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scream in the microphone. I would love to see a fly river turtle or a pignose turtle, man. Yeah, yeah, fly river pignose. And in, in terms of probably species around the world, and I'll, I'm coming back next year to America, uh, doing it again next year, is an alligator snapping turtle. I love working with them too. And they're so peaceful. I mean, I have one named Happy... He's the most. I mean, I go in there barefoot, clean his pond. He's not going to go after anybody, you know. Uh, just... <laughs> we've got two at work, and they're oh, they're super relaxed. They're amazing. Happy's a good name for a turtle. That's yeah, good. I like that name. I might steal that name <laughs> if that's okay, Corbin. Of course, it was either Happy or Cletus, and I thought Happy was yes. better. Yes. <laughs> it's a good name, Cletus. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the, um, the, uh, the bucket list animal for me in Australia by far is the fierce snake, which is just such a stereotypic thing for an Aussie boy to say, um, and, and a big brock. But, uh, but overseas, my number one animal will be a puff adder over in Africa. Interesting. I wouldn't have picked that. They're such a different animal. Like, yeah. Like, and after that, there's a hell of a lot of other animals, but they're all on pretty 
equal terms, like the Crocs and stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I really want to find a puff out. I've been obsessed with him since I was little. You guys have to come to Idaho. Next time you guys come to the States, I'm serious. I have bald eagles in the backyard. What? Wow. I'm coming in September. I'll be there for a month, so let's make it happen. Dan, where where are you staying? Are you just, like, shifting around couch to couch, like where I'm currently staying, or what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, I'll, well, hopefully your couch is free by the time I get there. If you're lucky, Dan, I'm just saying, if you're lucky, you might be able to feed an American alligator. If you're lucky. I mean, it's a special <laughs> once-in-a-lifetime you know, experience, but I could take you behind the scenes. I, 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 like to say, I just want to meet this emu. <laughs> Do you see a lot of emus where you both yeah, are from? Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes you'll oh. see... 20 or 30 at a time. I've got the best emu story. I was out west, out at um, a place called St. George, and I just heard this banging. And I, like, used to, like, grow up trying to catch them, and I caught a couple before this, but this was, like, first proper where I had to rescue one because I was walking through the bush looking for snakes, and I could just hear this bang, bang, and it was metal crash. And I went, what the heck is that? I think I've told you about this. I don't know. I don't know. And he's, um, I go over, and it's, it's on a sheep station, an old sheep station that's not used anymore. And where they would run the sheep onto the truck, this emu's gone up that raceway and the end of it's blocked off. But he doesn't seem to have the thought to turn around and walk out, which he can. There's not enough space. He's belting into the end of the into the end of the railing, trying to just push it off, which he's not going to because it's steel. And there's feathers going everywhere. He's just getting a run up and he's smashing it. So I get up the end of it. I didn't hop in initially. I just got up the end of it and just thought, oh, if I stand there, he won't and he'll move out the other way. And he didn't. He kept smashing that metal. So I was pushing him as he's, uh, like, running into the metal, which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen, but it was awesome. And then I jumped in with him and flipped him, and he still didn't want to run. So I was pushing him along the ground trying to get him out that way. But anyway, I jumped in with him, and I flipped him around and then got him up off his getaway sticks and just ran out that way and then let him go. And to this day, everyone knows who that emu is on that property because he's got a big black stripe down his back where all the new feathers have come through, and it just hasn't changed colour. <laughs> yeah. I, God bless my emu. I love Napoleon so much, but they are one of the most, I mean, they, I, they can't be very intelligent. And this is just, <laughs> like, I love them to death. Line I've ever heard. God bless my emu. They need it. <laughs> so I thought I was the best emu trainer in the world because I would go up to Napoleon and Napoleon would literally kneel down and rough up the feathers. And for years I thought, Oh my God. I mean, I am like the Emi whisperer. Like I should probably like, I don't know, like maybe do a side job. And it turns out, you know, Napoleon just getting in the whole mating position. So. (laughs) 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 So it turned out Napoleon actually is a female and laid an egg a few years ago. Anyway. So yeah, it's uh yeah, so Napoleon, the female emu. The female. What do Americans think of emus? Well, um, I love them. <laughs> do people eat emu there? I mean, is it a common thing? Not common, no. More, more likely a, a kangaroo is the, the, the primary meat, native meat source, kangaroo. Seen crocodile in some places, not so much emu. Emus, egg and oil. Egg and oil, yeah. Uh-huh. Have you guys ever eaten kangaroo? Uh, yes, I've had kangaroo before, but I, I, I'm not really a fan. Of, I'm actually I'm a vegetarian now, so uh, I yeah, I 
wouldn't eat it anymore. Completely but... put him off all meat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was a vegetarian for for uh, one month, and then I had a bad day, and I just wanted a chicken wing, and it's been downhill ever since, Dan. Yeah, you know what the best thing about being uh, outside of the animal side of things? It, it makes it very hard to eat takeaway because there's no good takeaway vegetarian. So, um, yeah. <laughs> how long have you how long have you been a vegetarian? This is interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did it for about six months uh, a while ago, and then um, I, I, got, I was like you, I cracked. But it was a conscious decision I made a little while ago to uh, to do it again, and um, I feel great. You know what I mean? Like people, uh, I don't I don't do it to please anyone. I don't do it because because just because I work with animals doesn't mean I, I wish I wouldn't eat it um, if if it was sustainable. Um, but I just think for my health-wise, it's something I've just really wanted to do. And also, too, I think the animal side has a benefit for that. Um, so, yeah, and as I said, I, all I do now is eat more vegetables. It's not a bad thing. It, you, you feel good. I, I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I grew up in the beef capital of northern New South Wales, so I feel like I would get absolutely scolded and new money. I wouldn't be able to go home. But, uh, but no, I have thought about it, and it, it's definitely the sustainability behind it is a big thought. Like, and... And the fact that is is it something we really do need to be putting these animals through? Uh, like the animal factor plays a big role, but as Dan was saying, just health wise, people talk about it all the time. They've never felt better. A lot, a lot of my mates are vegetarians. It's insane because I've gone from growing up with people that only eat meat to people that, but a lot of people don't, and they love it. And so, um, yeah, I've thought about it, but I'm definitely will not touch wildlife. I think we're both on the same page with that. Um, like the just the facts that we don't need to, and and for something like a croc, an apex predator, that they've got to house them with a whole bunch of other crocs. And so, the first crocodile I ever saw in a farm, I went there. I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it to see what a croc farm was like. First, very first animal I saw, top jaw had been ripped off the day before by another bigger croc in that in that facility. And the people are rough as guts that were there, and I just I was not a fan of it at all. And and there are some places that the people are very passionate and, and they they love their animals. It's not to say that they they don't care about their animals at all, and they see a benefit to what they're doing. But um, I think there's other ways to go about conservation. They always say you'll hear conservation through commerce, but I think we can achieve that uh, through other ways. And if if it comes down to skinning an animal or putting someone on TV wrangling an animal, I'd go with that any other time. The second option. At the end of the day, we I think we're we're some vegetarians, real green side people. Um, they can be very aggressive in their views, and what it does is it, it, it puts off the people that might make small change. That's what you're trying to. You, you don't expect. Don't make someone feel bad for, for eating for eating chicken. Try and educate them about doing things a little bit better. Um, and then you might see them make those small changes. You'll never get people jump from one side to the other. What we try and do as people in educational roles is make, ask them to, if they can put their plastic bags in a bin, you've made a change. If they'll start eating free-range chicken, it won't be long after that that they won't eat chicken at all. It's those little changes that we can try and inspire, and I think sometimes the green side, I'm not trying to take the greenies because they, they have their role too, but they slam people too much. They're too in your face. And then Joe Blow down the street goes, well, why would I want to associate with you guys? You know, you guys are crazy. So I think we can just just little bits, little little steps in the right direction is the way to go. And sometimes just doing it yourself. Like if people look at you and they, they see Corbin Macy and they listen to his podcast and hear that, that you went off being off meat and what reasons you did that, sometimes it's just you doing it. You don't explain why. You don't answer to anyone. You just do it. That's enough for someone to make the change themselves because – 
they're, they're really listening to you. If you're trying to, it's the same with wildlife, with everything we deal with every day, talking about snakes to an audience or, or crocs, um, you never ever want to slam conservation down their throats, but you want to just pinpoint how beautiful that animal is and hopefully at the end of the day um, that's what they take away. Man, it was so good finally connecting with both of you. I'm so happy we finally had a chance to do it. Honestly, mate, you're doing amazing work. Uh, I love the podcast. And, you know, for two blokes that just living in Australia, we're just living our dream, to be able to share it with you guys in the States and all your listeners, no, mate, it's a privilege for us and we're happy to come back anytime. We very much appreciate the opportunity. And if anyone wants to come out and see us at the Reptile Park, please do so. We do some amazing work and we love showing off. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking about that, what are both of your Instagram handles? <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, zookeeper underscore Dan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what's yours? I think mine's Giffo or Brandon Troy Gifford. So before we close off, you're both going to go snake hunting tonight? Right now. We're going to go now. Yeah. How far away do you guys have to go? Next door. Like if, um, if I, I'll just try and see out there is bush. So I'm going across the road. Really? And what do you guys hope to find? Probably uh, a, a red belly, red belly black snake. That'll be the maybe whip snakes, um, potentially common tree snakes. But, uh, yeah, it's not a bad little – there's a bit of water around, so good chance for a red belly having a bask. So I'll send you a photo if I catch one. Sounds good. Corbin, uh, mate, thank you so much for having us on. And I, I just wanted to say, like, I really appreciate everything you're doing over there. And for actually inviting me on with my voice far out, that's insane. No one gives me these opportunities. But, um, yeah, so sorry it's taken so long. But now that we're at, uh, at the Australian Reptile Park, we're, we're free to let loose and, uh, and, and talk as much as we want and say, if you, yeah, if you ever want to have any more yarns, we're, we're free to go. Otherwise, we'll try and do some yarns with you if you're ever in the country. Please come and see us. We really want you to down at the Reptile Park. I would love to fly and I would love to come and cuddle a Komodo. I mean, I'm serious. I'm ready for it, guys. I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he can sleep on his couch. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, have a good time snake hunting. Thanks, yes, Corbin. See you, Corbin. Cheers, mate. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.